I think we've got two wonderful candidates who are going to um, share their ideas with you tonight on three topics. The topics we have are affordable housing, economic development, and emergency preparedness. We have three questions in each topic. Um, each candidate will have an opportunity to, um, to answer the question. Uh, and then at the end, as I mentioned earlier, if there is additional time, uh, we will uh, get to your questions as well. We're gonna take approximately 15 minutes per topic. So um, we're, we're very excited that we're gonna be get, getting underway in a second. And I'm just gonna ask the candidates to introduce themselves. And then um, after that, we'll let them do their opening statement. So Pam, why don't you go ahead? Is my introduction my opening statement? I think you can do that. Okay, <laughs> I think I can. I think I can. Hello. Thank you so much for coming this evening. And thank you, Chris, for, for doing what you're doing. And thank you, Peter, for accepting our challenge uh, to a debate. Um, my name is Pamela Webb. Most of my friends call me Pam. Uh, I was raised in a Coast Guard family uh, and was lucky enough to live all over the U.S. and also uh, in several places in Europe as a child. Uh, I credit that upbringing uh, to learning how to be a public servant and to having a passion for public service. It seems like that's a family thing in my family. Um, I have 40 years experience in land use and economic development. Um, at every level of government. I have worked in the White House, uh, in state government, in regional governments, in counties, and in city halls. Uh, uh, I'm a single mother with two fantastic children, and my grandson is in the room. <laughs> he is the cutest baby ever born. I'm sure you will agree. <clears throat> I'm, uh, I've been in Oregon for 30 years. And when I moved to the coast, I was so amazed at the community spirit here that I immediately jumped in to uh, all kinds of activities. I, a very community-minded church, AAUW, uh, the animal shelter, uh, various environmental groups, uh, and I'm also continuing my consulting practice here. So, <clears throat> my greatest strength, um, I think probably my greatest strength is that I listen well. Uh, when I was raising my children, it was very important to me that they always be able to talk to me. And so I always set a, a, um, a philosophy in our house that you could always talk to mom, and many of their friends felt the same way. Um, I value other people's perspectives and opinions. I look at issues from every angle. I'm kind of a perpetual student. I always do my homework. And as a land use planner, I have a very long vision I've written many documents with a 20 or 30 year horizon, uh, and so I'm, I'm used to taking the long view. Um, I know good government when I see it, and I usually know when government is about to go off the rails as well. My three hoped for uh, roles on the county commission for the whole county commission um, is a spirit of civility, um, I hope the commission can be collaborative uh, with local communities with shared interests, which most of ours have here, and a sense of connectedness. Um, I love the fact that um, I think that public servants need to look at all sides of a story uh, and all issues uh, because everything is connected to everything else. Thank you. Peter. 
Uh, good evening. My name is Peter Roscoe. Delighted to be here. Uh, delighted to sit down and discuss these topics tonight with Pamela. I moved to Clatsop County in 1956. My father took command of Tongue Point Naval Station. He retired as an admiral in 1959, and our family moved into a house in Astoria. My parents, Dave and Peggy, were active members in the community and believed that being of service was an essential part of a complete life. I followed that model as a guide, and I found that service has tremendous rewards for the individual. My decision to run for Clatsop County Commission is very simple. I believe I would be a very good county commissioner, and I would enjoy the challenge. My wife, Pat, and I, the beautiful Pat, started a restaurant in Gearhart in 1999 that led to starting Fulios in downtown Astoria. That pathway has given us a wonderful life. Both of our children, Campbell and Rachel, flourished in the Astoria schools, and they've moved on to terrific careers. Pat and I have been involved with countless projects and committees that have become an interwoven part of the fabric of this community. These countless hours have introduced us to the people who have become lifelong friends and neighbors. I believe I have a good understanding of who they are and what they want from a county commissioner. The job of a commissioner is to gather the facts of an issue, oftentimes weighing them against emotion. This is a difficult proposition. It is the very nature of public office. Luckily, we are not reinventing the wheel. Guidelines to help in decision-making have been laid out by charter and by state ethic policies. Understanding these is a great tool. Most importantly, it gives someone like a commissioner the ability to be respectful. I've been involved with many boards and positions, some of them elected. I've witnessed firsthand the disappointment that's in an, an inevitable part of a tough decision. It can feel like the end of the world, but so far it hasn't been. What is important is to keep the lines of communication open. That access opens the door to transparency, and that is of vital importance in today's society. We're gonna be talking about our future vision of Clatsop County tonight. I think we have a bright future, rife with opportunity to grow, expand, prosper, and preserve. As we discuss these ideas, I intend to reveal my vision for that future. Thank you. Okay, I'm gonna start off with the first question, and I just uh, wanna give you all a reminder, despite the fact that both these candidates are gonna give excellent answers, please refrain from yelling, applauding. I don't have to come out in the audience, okay? <laughs> that, that's why I was hired, basically. Okay, so the first question, Pam, I'm gonna to go to you. Um, we're gonna talk about housing here for a few minutes. Um, and this, this one's a, a, a bit of a general question, but I think it will give us a, a good idea of, of where, you, where you stand and what you think about the issue. The term affordable housing may, ha may have a different meaning to different people. What does it mean to you and why is it important to Clatsop County? I think that um, the, the old adage, everything is connected to everything else, is no more true than in the affordable housing arena. Um, 
it has to do with, uh, for us, uh, some societal changes actually that are going on right now. People are living longer. Uh, there are many more older people who want to maintain their independence and live alone means we need more housing units. Um, we are, have changing household sizes in general. Our household size has shrunk dramatically, especially in Clatsop County over the past 20 years. Um, we are also traveling farther distances between work and home. Uh, the commuting time in the average commuting time in Clatsop County is now over 30 minutes, which is quite significant since our communities are so small. Uh, and of course, what it means is that people are living in one place and working in another. Uh, and then, of course, we've got the, the very current issue of homelessness in our community, which has several causes. Uh, some of them are our mental health addictions and, and crises in people's lives, but there are also a great many of them who have simply suffered some kind of an economic crisis in their lives. Um, so it's very complicated. And I really applaud uh, both the state and Clatsop County are in the midst right now of housing uh, studies. And, and I intend to make those studies not just things that sit on the wall uh, and never get done. Uh, they, we, uh, I'm very, very committed to make the, making those studies into policies and operations uh, at the commission level. Thank you. Peter, what does uh, affordable housing mean to you and why is it important? That's a great question. As a city councilor, I, I had two thoughts. I, I actually kind of kick-started the Riverfront Vision Plan here in this very room. And at that time, I used to say, the vision, the Riverfront Vision Plan is not really a vision of Astoria. And now you hear it in the mayoral debate. The real vision is, what should Astoria look like in 25 years? Uh, the number one issue is that term of affordable housing, which is actually kind of ambiguous because it means one thing to some people and another thing to others. I think the real issue that we're focusing on is workforce housing. And as a member of COPAC, we've done studies that are getting folded into this study that the county's doing about workforce housing. Uh, I think one thing that the study needs to be aware of is some information that I've just recently been given this week about some of the possible pitfalls the county may face. When we build in an, un we need to really be specific about siting because if we build in an unincorporated area that is on a septic system, most of the five companies that run those septic uh, removals, take it to the Astoria Treatment Center, which is no longer going to accept those wastes. And so they take it to the Warrington Treatment Center, which is enclosed. They're getting maxed out. So the county is gonna have to address an issue, what's their responsibility for building in the unincorporated areas as per septic system. So complicated issue, affordable housing. Thank you. Peter, you touched on this a, a little bit in that last answer, but I'm going to ask you to get a little bit more specific. What are two specific strategies you would develop to help to address the affordable housing issue in Clatsop County? You mean workforce housing? Workforce housing. Okay, that's, those are your words, not mine. 
Okay, well, affordable yeah. housing, I think the real estate market can take care of part of that. Mm -hmm. uh, as far as workforce housing goes, I know a number of developers. They're, they're right now, there are 40-something units that just opened up at the New Young's Bay Bridge. There's 12 more going to get added in. There's over 120 that are nearing completion out by Costco. And there's 300 proposed in, in Hammond. And those projects have faced over and over and over again kind of a bait and switch. The developer goes in and says, I want to build affordable housing. I think this is a great opportunity for me and for the people that are going to rent from me. And when they get in there, the regulations change and another layer gets added on. And then they think they're done and another agency steps in and says, we've got regulations that you've got to abide by. And so another layer and, you know, all the money they have in to the projects is the, the interest is clicking. So I think the county could take a role working through our great relationships with the legislature and the federal government to simplify the regulations so there is a clearer path to the end product. I think that is something that has delayed many of our workforce housing projects that, you know, if all these things came through, we'd have 600 or something, or over 500 online by the end of the year. Okay, thank you. Pam, would you like to? I would, I would. Um, I have spent my career uh, helping developers uh, go, uh, go through the, the public process of developing land. And um, I have found in the work that I have done here in Clatsop County uh, that the process is actually quite good. Um, what there's nothing wrong with the process or the laws. I think the process, or the issue is that here, as opposed to most urban areas, we have rather unsophisticated developers, and they don't always spend as much time doing their own due diligence as they need to do. I don't find it to be a local government problem. Um, I find, and, and the fact is that in the state of Oregon, uh, counties uh, usually, as we are, are left with mostly um, agricultural land, and which is very much intended not to be developed for small lots um, and multifamily houses. Uh, we're very careful about that in the state of Oregon. Uh, and I, uh, one of the interesting um, findings of the present housing study that's going on, which has released sort of its first findings report, is that we actually have almost 5,000 acres of land in Clatsop County that is developable. Um, people don't often know where it is, et cetera, uh, but it's here. We, we're not going to have to go out into rural areas. Uh, because first of all, that's something that is anathema to the way Oregon has designed its land use laws. And secondly, we appear to have developable land enough. We just have to be strategic in how we help it get developed. Okay, the next question kind of builds a little bit on um, what you spoke to there. Uh, I think many folks agree that, that housing is an issue here in Clatsop County, but what would you say to those folks who agree to that issue, but then when a development is proposed in their neighborhood, uh, they, they're, not, they're not happy with that development. 
Would you like me to take yeah. that? <clears throat> yes, uh, the so-called NIMBY people um, are, are very common. And in our five cities, um, they're particularly, uh, they're, they're particularly uh, energetic. Uh, because e each of our communities has a very unique character. Uh, it's one of the reasons I think we all love this place is that, you know, Astoria has its wonderful historical architecture and a wonderful history. You know, Gerhard is, I hope there's nobody here from Gerhard. <laughs> <laughs> you know, is 50% occupied with permanent <laughs> residence and high-end housing. You know, we, we all, each community has its own unique, uh, unique, unique, unique issues. Uh, and um, I'm sorry. So, yeah, just what would you say to those people? So, I don't yeah. want this in my backyard. Yeah, I think it's, it's a very big issue. And um, I think, the, however, the more attention we draw to, uh, to our affordable housing issues, I think the more people are going to have to get it. Uh, and um, we don't want to be building out in Napa a 40-unit apartment building, <laughs> so we're going to have to do it on existing land, which we, which we know um, contains all the right things. Um, and I, I've dealt with NIMBY people all my life, and what I, what I always tell my clients as developers is, you know, if you design your project to the zoning envelope, then the neighbors can't do anything about it. Uh, and often, uh, neighbors object to things that are perfectly within the zoning envelope. Uh, and those people appeal to Luba, and they lose. Uh, so, um, it, once again, it's up to the, to the developers to, to not just design a project that pencils for them, but to, to design a project that's consistent uh, with, a loaning with a local zoning ordinances. Thank you. Peter. I absolutely agree with that. Uh, when somebody acquires a piece of property and wants to develop it, they enter that process knowing full well what the zoning requirements are, what they're, they may ask for a variance, but let's assume that they haven't asked for an, a variance. They want to do something on a piece of property. And some neighbor comes along and objects. Those kinds of things are <clears throat> some of the hardest decisions that you have to make when you sit on the commission because it goes through an appeal process and it comes forward to you. But the reality of it is, if somebody acquires a piece of property and they're going to do something that's an outright use, that's their right to do it. I don't have a problem with that. That's what they should be allowed to do. Sometimes you get into these view corridor things like we have on our riverfront, but even you know trees on people's property have been an issue somebody has a tree and the neighbor says, you're blocking my view, and before you know it, somebody went to the tree and cut a ring around it so the tree dies and goes down. I mean, I've seen fences that were six inches out of compliance or a woodshed that was slightly out of compliance that neighbors complain about. Those, those kind of issues are really difficult. Uh, I think the skill is being open to listen, to not be tied to either side, but to actually listen and use your set of guidelines <clears throat> through your charter and your ethics guidelines to arrive at a decision 
that is sound. And if you do that, I have seen it happen where the person that loses came up and shakes your hand and says, thank you for listening and being respectful. That's what I think we need to do at the commission level. All right, thank you. All right, next we're going to move on to some economic development questions. We'll start with you, Peter. Um, what do you believe to be um, the top challenges for economic development in Kotzeb County, and how might you, as an elected official, address them? The top challenges for economic development? Mm -hmm. uh, new opportunities, no question about it. Uh, I've been on the COPAC, which is the regional economic development council that encompasses Columbia, Clatsop, Tillamook, and a portion of Washington County around Banks and Cornelius for a long time, since 2006, and I'm still on there. So we study regionally economic development. And what are the opportunities for economic development here? Well, one thing that I, I know that our county is the lowest producing agricultural county in the state of Oregon. So I see some opportunities to partner with our agricultural community. There are grants through NOAA that as a county commissioner, I can approach scientists at Oregon State and say, we have some land, we have a desire, we would like to do a test product for a new crop in our county. As a private citizen, that approach to them has got no weight. But as a county commissioner, it brings a significance. And there are a lot of opportunities. There are a lot of NOAA grants available. We're leaving money on the table. And we have agricultural land. And I, I had a recently a forum about agriculture. And some of the people that are here tonight were there. Our farmers, our farm-to-table people can be, we can aid them and, and bolster that. But we can also aid a little more medium-sized farms that are getting into a new crop that could really uh, help our community. Thank you. Um, economic development is my, the strongest part of my professional background. I actually wrote a chapter in one of the American Planning Association's uh, textbooks that are used in graduate planning programs a few years ago, um, and the subject was economic development. Um, I believe uh, that the best economic development strategy is for communities to create a good place to live. Um, I could tell you some amazing stories about projects that we thought uh, businesses were going to locate to, and when the wife showed up, uh, said, no, I don't care if everything's perfect, you're getting a tax break, doesn't matter, I don't want to live here. Uh, and, and good, healthy, desirable communities are really the backbone, and that's to me what government's role is, is uh, to provide the things that people want, which in my experience are good schools, affordable housing, public safety, and access to recreation and culture, and good medical facilities. Uh, and we have most of those things here, except for the affordable housing issue. But I'm pretty excited about uh, the fact that, that Clatsop is becoming increasingly diverse, which is also absolutely critical to sound economic development. 
um, I wasn't here, but um, I, from, from my readings of the history of this place, uh, there came a time when, the, when the, count, the, the city of Astoria was very prosperous because of its canneries, and then it also, there also came a time when all those canneries left. Uh, and so diversifying the economy, I think, is absolutely critical uh, to, to any success in economic development. Thank you. Okay, let's follow up on uh, something you touched on a little bit. Um, how would you balance economic development while protecting our natural resources and the cultural character of Clatsop County? Um, I think our natural resources are in some ways uh, both a blessing and a curse. Um, we have this magnificent place where, where soil and water and, uh, and the, o the ocean and our streams, uh, we have abundant, gorgeous forests. Um, I think one of the critical ideas though to preserve that because so many of our industries including tourism depend on that beautiful landscape so i think we have to really have a focus on responsible stewardship of the land to make sure the, that the timber industry isn't degrading the water quality um, and that our water resources are are kept um, as abundant as they can be and i think we all have to work together to make sure that that happens. Um, as I say, it's a huge responsibility, I think, to maintain the balance of our ecosystem in Clatsop County. Uh, and I think the uh, county needs to have a leadership role in, in ensuring that that happens. Thank you. Okay. Repeat the question, please. So um, how, would, how would you balance economic development while protecting our natural resources and the cultural character of Clatsop County? Well. The cultural character of Clatsop County has indeed changed. Uh, certainly we are dependent and reliant on our natural resources vis-a-vis -vis the uh, forest products industry and our fishing industry. Uh, we need to keep those work for those working wage, family wage jobs that are in those, in those industries. And certainly the forest products industry it can be painted to be this ogre, but it's really not. I've, I've, I know a lot of people in that industry. I, uh, they are great stewards of the land. We were just on a forest products tour. Uh, that, you know, we need our our county government relies on that. In our fishing industry, our Lower Columbia fishing industry, is still one of the sixth leading landing areas in the entire United States for total poundage of fish, various species. Concurrently, we are, we have an amazing arts, events, and museums leg in our economy. And another important factor in our economy are the hospitality and restaurant industries. When you think of the restaurants and hotels from Arch Cape to out to Westport where the little berry patch is, think about it on a daily basis, the amount of money that goes through those restaurants and those motel rooms. You think about this, the uh, Classic County Arts Council did a study on the economic impact of nonprofit organizations, but when you add events, for-profit events, the Crab and Seafood Festival, the volleyball tournament, 
over and over and over again, the economic impact of those types of people is enormous in our county, and they're cultural. All right, thank you. Peter, I'm going to ask you the, the next question. The final question here in economic development is a little more specific. What role should the county play in the development of the North Coast Data and Technology Center? Uh, are you that particular project may or may not move forward according to some conversations I've had. Uh, I think that the decision to begin the process to, for that data center was an excellent idea. And I think any kind of high-tech industry that we could attract to this area is just excellent. I'm not sure that I don't know, I don't want to go on the record, but that financing may not be totally available. However, there are other people that I've heard about who are interested in that same idea. So that particular project may not move forward, but another, another one may come along and take its place. Uh, the county should do whatever it can. I think that power in that and water in that particular site are going to be a, an issue. I know that those kind of data centers, if you go over to uh, Primeville and talk to the people in Primeville about what Facebook's doing with all their engines and their the electricity and the water in Primeville goes to that thing. So it's a great industry, but they become the gorilla in the room. So you've got to kind of be careful. I think we would like to attract that, but we, we need to communicate that we welcome industry here, but we have very, very, very high stewardship standards. And anybody that's going to come into our community has got to learn that you've got to abide by our standards before we let you in. Just like when you used to go to your grandmother's house, she said, wipe your shoes and tuck your shirt in or you're not going to eat dinner. That's the way we want to be. <laughs> can, Pam, can you speak to the, the data center or, or projects similar to that? Yeah. Um, I think there's a level of infrastructure that is always demanded of high technology companies. Uh, and um, right now, I think there are discussions going on between the Port of Astoria and some of the potential um, folks uh, who are interested in, the, in what is now, finally, um, our business park that is beginning uh, beginning to be to be developed, um, but I I think there's a there's a level of infrastructure that the county uh, ha needs to pay attention to, because it it so traverses uh, local municipal lines, and I think it's imperative that we have a have a very very good fiber fiber optic system. Um, Internet access in remote places, I think that's something we need to work on too because so many people work from home and, and the secret to working at home is to have good internet access. Um, the other issue I think um, is education. I think that Clatsop Community College, and it's not just because Chris is standing here, but has done some really exciting things uh, in, helping, uh, in helping train our young people. And of course, what's wonderful about their mission is that they're not all young. Uh, so it's training and retraining people to accept the jobs in this industry. 
my first question when I heard about the data center was, wow, do we have enough people here who are trained properly um, for this business? Uh, so I think we have to take that holistic approach to make sure that we have both the physical in infrastructure and also the people infrastructure, the human capital in the place uh, to make that all happen. Okay, thank you. All right, next we're gonna move on to um, emergency preparedness. And you were talking about infrastructure for economic development. This first question has to do with infrastructure um, in terms of emergency preparedness. What do you see as the most pressing needs for infrastructure or capital projects in the county that will foster a disaster resilient community? Mm, this is one of my favorite issues. Um, <clears throat> I think, <clears throat> uh, Remember when the tsunami maps came out, when the county did a great job of developing tsunami maps? I moved all my furniture back and I spread them out on my floor and I noticed something remarkable. The tsunami maps for the citizen looking at them are mostly little ping pong balls in high ground in different places in the county. And I thought to myself, they're not connected. They're not connected. Those, those resources, primarily in schools in our county, um, will have a life. They can only feed and house people for a certain period of time. And at some point, we've got to start connecting the dot, those dots. Um, I'm very concerned, for instance, in District 3, um, the Lewis and Clark Fire District, they are located right now in a floodplain. Their worst nightmare is that we get some kind of major flooding and they're not even gonna be able to move their vehicles. Um, so I think we've gotta start thinking about bringing our first responders to high ground. Um, of course, we have to make sure they're adequately trained, but I'm pretty impressed, um, at least with the Lewis and Clark and the only Wolowski people. Um, but we've got to, we, they have to be safe. They have to be, they have to be on high ground. Um, I think we also need a very robust, um, communication system, which is not in place right now. I think we need a 911 center for the entire county. And I think we need to fund and enable ham radio operators because recent experiences in other disaster prone areas have been that it's the ham radio operators who save the day because they're the ones who really have uh, a very connected and viable communication system. Thank you. Uh, you know, the infrastructure part of things is, is interesting. If we have, depends on the event, really. I was here in the 1962 Columbus Day storm as a high school student. I was here in the 2007 storm as a city councilor. And I went to the briefings in the sheriff's office every morning at 6 a.m. and then I went to Camp Riley and helped cook for the thousands of people that came from everywhere and cut their way down Highway 26 and 30 to get us back on the grid. Um, Post-emergency community resilience is one of the buzzwords. And I think we could do on an infrastructure level what that means on one level is power. And I think there, again, there are NOAA grants available where we could, or actually some OWET, uh, Oregon Wave Energy Trust, also has some avail available grants where we could 
in Astoria or anywhere we are along the river, we could explore some projects that create energy. There are propeller-like devices. When the, when the propeller spins, it creates resistance, it creates energy. We should also pay attention to Floyd Holcomb when he talks about the salvage chief. That, that has got a generator that could power all of our emergency here in Astoria. Uh, there are a number of, I met with Kenny Hansen, Officer Hansen, and Ed Hauer, who's in charge of our Astoria CERT team, and there are over 100 current two-way radios in working order in place by our CERT teams, and our municipal CERT teams meet once a month. So there is communication available already. Thank you. Peter, let's build a little bit on that. You mentioned uh, a, a private individual in, in one of your, in your response there. What role should the private sector play in the recovery plan after a disaster? I think the lead that the county needs to take is to educate the public. Everyone's talking tsunami. So let's just keep it at that. And by the way, they've mentioned the tsunami maps. Here they are. And there's some out on the table. If you don't have one, get one. This is the number one way to educate yourself. Do not expect some government agency to come and rescue you. That is not going to happen. Look what just happened in Florida. You need as individuals to educate yourself how to become self-reliant. That is what is necessary. And the county's lead role is to help the municipal CERT teams and as a county being a coordinating kind of factor with those municipalities, get that education out so that people understand, you know, the CERT teams were started in Los Angeles, modeled after the Japanese society. That's where it all started, the CERT programs. Because the Japanese, just like when you were a kid and you were in school, you had a fire drill, something may happen. The possibility is this may happen. How do you respond to it? That is what we need to educate our citizens about. How are you going to respond after this emergency happens, if it happens in your lifetime. And if you just make it a matter of course, that's important. Of course, we're gonna, as the county, we're gonna coordinate. We have Tiffany Brown running the emergency center out of Seaside. All the different cities are gonna coordinate through her. That's what happened. One other thing, the CERT team's primary res responsibility is to assess the damage. Let me just cheat a little and tell you two things. The damage assessment is, after this event happens, who needs some critical care and how can we get there? We have no guarantee that we're gonna be able to drive to that. You're not gonna be able to drive to safety. But number two is, the damage assessment is a monetary assessment. And compiling that countywide is what gets you emergency funding sooner rather than later. Okay, thank you. What, what's the role of the private sector? I think that's a 
that's kind of a complicated question in this area um, because we have so few large companies that, that can ensure our resiliency. Uh, our construction companies, the good news is uh, that most of them are very busy. Uh, and we're going to have to think about ways that we can bring in, or bring in resources to the county. Uh, also, uh, we have to think about the medical issues um, that if we really do, uh, our, our medical facilities now are pretty much at capacity. And so we're probably going to have to think about ways to get people out um, or to get medical personnel in. Uh, and I'm, I'm very worried about that issue. I agree with everything that, that Peter said. I, I really believe that we need to do much more citizen education. Um, I think we need to do it at all levels. I think we have to do it in the schools. We've got to do it at the family level. And I'm particularly concerned about uh, people who have um, health problems and older people who often live alone in very remote areas. Um, so I'd like to see much more, much more uh, county initiative given to training for all populations of our people. Um, I'm also in favor of taking another look at the Astoria bypass. I think it could be very, very critical uh, in an emergency here. Um, besides being able to get people in and out, um, I think it's, uh, it it's, would be incumbent upon us to locate more along a proposed route for that. Um, the, the business component of it is, is a fascinating question. And you know, I have to tell you, I don't think I've done a lot of thinking about it. Um, but I think it's an guys. <laughs> Okay, I'll, I'll, I'll let you go, go with this. This is the last question in emergency preparedness. Um, what is your vision for improving our community's disaster preparation, and how would you fund that vision? Well, I would love to see the county commission become much more involved than it is in Salem. Uh, I've had various conversations with legislators um, who say that, you know, if they don't hear from their citizens... They don't know what's hot. They don't, they don't know what, what it's about. Um, I've taken a very close look, been following the county budget for a couple of years. And yes, the county is pretty good at bringing in grants. But I think a lot of them are very obvious grants. And I think that the spirit of our commissioners in Salem, rather than being criticized by people that they're out of town too often, um, it needs to rely on commissioners being very active in their areas of interest in Salem and making sure that we get our fair share. Um, you know, we're a county without, uh, without a paid lobbyist in Salem. Uh, we probably can't really afford to have one but we can sure be more pr proactive with the, associa the Association of Oregon Counties um, and with other groups uh, to get our fair share. And I don't think we're getting our fair share right now. Say it again, So, um, what's your vision for our community's disaster preparation? How would you fund that vision? How would you fund that vision? Uh, I think there are there are grants available, as I mentioned. The uh, power, being on the grid, is definitely a response. Uh, Pamela mentioned the uh, truck route. Uh, I've said for years that <clears throat> if we a bond that would be extremely helpful 
to this community would be to pave Pipeline Road from Scandinavian Cannery Road all the way down to Williamsport Road at the base, or a little bit farther out, there's a logging road that comes down. If we pave that, we could get back in the good graces with ODOT, who currently is not happy with Clatsop County. I don't know how many of you are aware of this or not, but there was a bypass that ODOT approved in Seaside, and a couple of citizens did a NIMBY and, and killed the uh, project, and since that time, ODOT has said, not in our lifetime are we gonna give you any more funding. You, you had millions of dollars of our money, and you turned us down. That would have been a very important link. But if we were to link, and I think there is a possibility to link Pipeline Road out to Lewis and Clark and down to Seaside and then to develop some feeder routes from our coastal communities, that could help us in an emergency. And it could go all the way down. Clear back in the 50s, there was a bypass that went from 10126 Junction to Scandinavian Cannery Road. And again, NIMBYs shut it down. I think that's an opportunity to strengthen our infrastructure. All right, thank you very much. Um, now we have some time for questions from the audience. I don't know if we've got some submitted, if we could bring those forward. They have to. They, yeah, they need to go through yeah, the. Yeah, they, they have to go through. We're not going to have a whole lot of time for all those questions. Yeah, we're probably, we're probably not going to be able to get to all of them because we have to give. These are not completely on topic, but. It's never stopped me before. I know. <laughs> all right. So I'm going to look through a few of these and. All right. I think we'll start with um, your, your first, uh, Peter, on this. Um, is the county's coordination with cities adequate, and how could it be improved? I think that the county and the cities, I know I've hosted many city manager meetings in the back room at Fulio's on a regular basis as they come forward and meet with the county manager and uh, the various city managers. So I think on that level, there, there exists a lot of communication. Uh, on the commissioner level, you know, we're all kind of in a different silo. I think you, you should definitely be, have a relationship with the counselors from the various cities as a commissioner. Uh, and when those opportunities overlap, the idea is to build a team that's gonna move things forward. I, you know, I, I think that's, uh, that's an extremely important part of what happens when you become a new commissioner and you have a new commission. The commission's number one goal is, should be to build a team and to build areas of expertise for each team member so that, and build trust amongst those team members so that when 
your team member is working in their area and they come back to the other commissioners with a report, there's a trust there because they know you're working hard, they know you're informed, and they're gonna listen to your recommendations. Uh, as you reach out to the municipalities, those same touch points come into uh, play. And so I think that's just important. Okay, thank you. So is the county's coordination with cities adequate and how could it be improved? Mm -hmm. Well, I, I actually asked the present county manager uh, this question a year or so ago. And he told me that there were no regular meetings um, among city officials. Um, I'm sure you're all aware that we have, in terms of elected officials, we, uh, we have very strict Oregon laws about how many people can meet together at one time, et cetera. So in my experience and other communities in Oregon, it's been very incumbent on staff to maintain the, those coordination uh, issues. And, and unfortunately, as I say, it's not going on now, apparently. But, uh, but in general, I, I believe wholly in it. I'm very delighted that this uh, housing study that's being done by the county um, is being funded half by the county and what would that be? 10% uh, each for, from, um, from the other five cities. And that means that they've got skin in the game. That means that, that this isn't something that they can afford uh, to ignore. Uh, and those kind of coordination activities I really believe in. Um, I am not particularly happy with the silos that I see the county commissioners operating in right now. Uh, they tend to each have an area of responsibility. And, and I, see, I hear the reports at the end of the council meeting, uh, the commission meeting, but I don't ever hear them talking together about these issues, uh, which I think is a, is a big mistake. Uh, and, um, and I would like to see more of that. I'd like to see more county uh, commission work sessions where they actually discuss uh, these issues together. Uh, and um, I, think th I think that's very important going forward because I think they're, they each have an area of interest and that's it. They go off and do their thing. <laughs> Great, thank you. So this will probably be the final uh, question here and then you'll, we'll have time for um, closing remarks, but uh, do you support sustainable energy and electric vehicle chargers um, for electric vehicles? Um, and how would, you, how would you support those kinds of activities in the county? I think that being so resource resource rich, um, we are an excellent place to develop sustainable energy resources. Um, we have we have everything. We have we have all natural forces right here, uh, and I would love to see something happen in cooperation with the community college. Uh, where we are targeting, perhaps we're giving advantages, uh, tax incentives, et cetera, to the creation of, of a lot of those uh, sustainable energy uh, programs. I, I think we're very ripe for it. I think it's one of our best economic development opportunities. But it has to be linked into providing the workforce for it. Great. Absolutely. Uh, as I mentioned before, the, the opportunity for sustainable energy, not just along our, under the docks in Astoria or even out under Big Red with one of these energy generators, which would in many ways be kind of passive. You wouldn't, it's not a dam. It's not gonna, you know, you could put a screen around it so that our fish are not gonna be impacted by it. It may scare a few sea lions away, but is that a bad thing? <laughs> uh, 
you know, even in our houses. I can tell you that in Eastern Oregon, uh, I'm really big on what I call micro generators. And I know that they're very successful in uh, Eastern Oregon. The farmers use micro generators in their irrigation pipes to power their system. So I think that in your house, you know, everybody kind of poo-poos the idea of solar energy around here, but what does it do a lot of? Rain? I wonder if your downspouts could create a resistor that creates energy. So when it rains a lot, you could be powering your own house off energy that the rain that's falling on your roof produces. And then even in a larger picture, what if all that water that comes into a CSO project all the clean water, just the rainwater, what if that was tied in to create energy for your city? What an idea. I've also had a number of discussions with a local recent uh, resident, Jennifer Rauda, who is a solar energy advisor nationwide who, you know, when we do something like if the school bond passes, we paved the, si uh, the parking lot at, at the Astoria High School or all the parking lots. The roofs of those parking lots could put have solar panels on them. So could the new jail. Okay, thank you. All right, so that's going to end um, the, uh, the question period. What I'm going to do now is give each candidate two minutes to um, uh, have some closing remarks, and we'll start with you, Peter. Uh, you know, I'm just a low, well, again, I want to thank you, and it's interesting to sit here and listen to Pam and her ideas. She's got some great ideas. I don't think either one of us, I don't think there's a uh, lose in this election. Either candidate wins, the county's gonna win. Uh, I'm a local guy, I went to high school here, I've got one of my high school classmates sitting right, right here with me. Uh, I've known, I know people from every corner of this county and I, I have relationships with them. I'm, despite what my beautiful wife Pat may tell you, I'm actually a pretty good listener. <laughs> uh, so, you know, I, I listen, I can be objective, I don't have an agenda. I, what I look for are solutions. And when I hear one side and I hear another, it's my nature to try and take ideas from both those camps and move them forward to something that propels us forward. And, you know, I, I think I've proven that. My resume of community involvement and the things I've been involved with, many of you are very familiar with. I think they've all been successes. I have been part of a great government. My years on city council, we got a lot of things done that have made this community what it is. I think one of my proudest achievements was uh, being part of a team that, that moved the football field to where I'm going to be going after this is over to watch a football game so that we have cancer treatment center in downtown Astoria. That is an enormous accomplishment. And um, I do have the experience you know. I do have the experience you trust. And I do have the experience that matters. So I'm asking for your vote. All right, thank you. Pam? Yes. Thank you once again.
to Chris and Peter. Uh, I think this has been a very satisfying event for all of us. I've learned a lot. Um, and um, I'd also, most of all, like to thank all of you. Uh, this is terrific of you to come out on a Friday night, <laughs> which is usually the night we all kind of, you know, well, we don't all <laughs> do all those things that you're thinking about. <clears throat> um, but I, I really do. I, I'm, I am particularly honored that so many of you uh, came out to listen to us. Um, I think that to make a real difference, a real difference in a community, uh, a leader's perspective needs to be forward-looking. Um, I think we, uh, we're a very different community today than we were in past years. Um, as a District 3 commissioner, I would work very hard uh, with the rest of the board um, to and county staff uh, to put our energy and to proactively address six particular areas. One of them is sustaining our forests and fisheries and farms. Um, I think it's a, we're, we're at a very critical time right now uh, and, and we need to put a lot of energy uh, into, into doing that. Um, fostering economic opportunities for local businesses and for each of our sectors. Um, I certainly don't have a preference to develop uh, any one sector in this community. Uh, I think we need them all for balance and diversity. Um, I'd love to foster economic opportunities for all businesses. Um, I, I am a strong supporter of the affordable housing initiatives and I'm very excited about the work that's being done in that area. Um, I think we need sound infrastructure uh, to meet our public safety requirements. Um, we need to ad address some community challenges that we haven't talked about tonight. Um, our, our drug abuse, our domestic violence issues, uh, and our mental health issues. Um, we live in a diverse economy with longtime residents and newcomers. Uh, and I think we need to foster a spirit of always, always working together and moving forward with fresh uh, and forward-looking ideas. Thank you so much for coming tonight. And thank you all for attending. Now you can applaud if you so desire, <laughs> and I think you should. Um, I think these candidates are both great, and the most important thing that you can do is get out and vote. So thank you very much for your time. Absolutely.